I want to thank everybody again. Um, this has just been a wonderful service, and thank everybody for all their support and all their help that you guys have been. And um, it's been incredible to have the opportunity uh, to been preach more often of late, and especially going into the book of Colossians. It's been a very um, just eye-opening study for myself. Even though I've read many things in Colossians, many times I have read them out of context and taking the book as a whole and diving into it and seeing what Paul is writing to the Colossian church has truly had an impact on my life and I hope it has for you as well because it's very easy for us even with what's happened today for us, for me to focus on the fact that I have a certificate but that's not what is important. What's important is Christ and Christ alone. And I hope that as we continue this process of going through Colossians, we have two more chapters left. And as we go through the rest of this book, that you and I will both walk away knowing that we understand one thing. And that Christ is first and foremost over all else, and we need to live like it. So we're going to get into chapter 3 this morning. And if you were with us last week, you know that chapter 3 has really been the place that I've been looking forward to getting uh, this whole book has been great, but chapter 3 is where Paul really starts to unpack some practical things, and it's going to be a really cool journey as we look at chapter 3. And so that's where we're going to be. Uh, in just a minute, though, I'm going to recap what we've looked at in chapters 1 and 2, and we'll see why we need to do that. But before we get to the scripture today, um, you see that the name of the, the title of the sermon today is Change Notice. Now, some of you have no idea what a change notice is, and some of you might. Probably only if you've been to Davis College, you would know what this is. Uh, when I started going to what was then Practical Bible College, um, we had a system of discipline, if you will, uh, that uh, if you broke a rule, uh, you would uh, receive a reprimand from the dean, all right, and uh, and it, it was called all sorts of different things, but it was always a very negative term. The second year, we changed to Davis College. I don't know if this had to do with it, but the student development team decided instead of using negative terms that talk about discipline or punishment, what they're going to start doing is instead of giving infractions to people, they're going to start giving change notices. Now, um, students had quite a bit of fun at that. Um, no longer were we getting in trouble. Uh, instead, we were just being told that we need to change. Um, and so it became this big thing that anytime you got in trouble, you would get a change notice. Honestly, I'm not so sure it ever really worked because anytime people got slapped on the hand or given a penalty, usually they went right back and did the same thing that they already were doing. Um, so the change idea wasn't there. But I see what they were trying to do, right? They were trying to teach the students that, look, you are a, you are a student of Davis College, that is your identity right now. That's who you are. And as a student of Davis College, we expect you to abide by certain rules and live a certain way. We expect you to live like a Davis College student. And then they said, then the idea then behind it is if you stop living like a Davis College student and doing things you shouldn't be doing as a Davis College student, then we're going to tell you that you need to change and come back to what you should be. And a uh, very interesting concept there. I'm not sure it worked, but yet... I understand what they were trying to do, and actually today as we go into chapter 3 of Colossians, we're going to see that idea of a change notice. But maybe for some of you who haven't been in college as recently as I have, maybe it's to you, it's in the workplace. You know, you get called into your boss's office, uh, and you go in, and it's your yearly review. Now, a yearly review, uh, it, 
some people look forward to it because maybe you'll get a raise, but for the most part, if you're going in for a review, they're going to tell you something, what, that you need to change. Uh, look, you had a great year, this is what you've done right, but these are the things that you can get better at, these are the ways you need to change. And so maybe you're familiar with that and, and this idea of wanting to promote change in somebody. So whether it's in college or whether it's in jobs, uh, employers and deans of student affairs want change. They want, if things are going the wrong way, change needs to happen. And in Colossians 3... Is there a drone coming after me or something? Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, we need, to ch- we need to change fans, all right? That's a change notice to you. All right. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, thank you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to see that Paul gives us a change notice. And the idea that he's going to t- teach us as we look at the word, as we look at chapter 3 in Colossians, we're going to see that Jesus didn't come, didn't, isn't who he is, didn't do what he's done for us so that we would stay the same and not be any different than the world. In fact, as a Davis College student, I was expected to live by their rules and therefore represent Davis College well, just like you are called to represent your job well, and that's why sometimes we need to change. We need to change to represent Jesus Christ well. And so I'm, as we look at this idea of change notice... As we look at chapter 3, I want this to be looked at as Paul's change notice to us. Now that you are living in Christ, what needs to change? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But in order to get what Paul has to say here in chapter 3, we must first go back and look at, at the case that he has been making for the first two chapters. Without understanding this context, we will not be able to grasp the concept that Paul is trying to drive home. As we look at Colossians, and I know this is a lot of review, and we've done review almost every week, but it is vitally important that we understand chapters 1 and chapters 2, and if we get the understanding of those chapters, then as we move into chapter 3, we will see Paul is making a point that cannot be missed. So if you'll join with me for a little bit, and we'll go back and do some review through chapters 1 and chapter 2. And the Colossians background that we know that we've seen, if you've been with us, is that syncretistic culture, a culture that is trying to blend religions, blend Judaism with Christianity, with pagan religions, with all these astronomy things and all this new religion. They're trying to blend it together in in Colossae. And we see that that's happening, and it caused Paul to remind the church that Christ is superior over all else. That all these other things that are trying to be mixed in, we don't need to mix them because Christ is better than all of them. He is superior over all else. And that is what Paul is trying to get us to understand as we go through the book of Colossians. And ultimately what he's saying is nothing should or can be added to our faith in Christ. Christians are complete in him. We are complete. If we know Christ, we have everything we need to find fulfillment. We have everything we need to be complete. That is what Paul has been saying through chapters 1 and chapter 2 and now even into chapter 3. And so that's a little bit of the background. So the specifics we've seen in chapter 1 so far and chapter 2, we see that Paul starts the letter by thanking God and praying for the Colossians in light of the gospel of Christ. And he says, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to hope for you, and I'm going to be thankful for you, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is, and because of what he's done. And in the light of that, I'm going to pray for you that you will understand him more, that you will understand the gospel more. And that he will make a difference in your life. And Paul says, that is what I want to pray for all Christians for. 
And then he moved on and he wants to say, all right, I'm praying for that and I remember God, Christ is sufficient and he is superior over all. So um, he says, Paul then shows the supremacy of Christ by reminding us who he is. Paul takes some time and he talks about Jesus being the creator, the creator of all the world and everything we see and everything we know. And as creator, he's also the sustainer. He keeps things going the way they should. He holds things together. And finally, we saw that he is Lord over the church, that he is master, that he is ruler. And as Jesus being the creator, the sustainer, and the ruler of the world, therefore, Christ is superior over all else. That makes sense. If he's created and sustained everything, and he's also ruling over everything, then there is nothing that can shine a light onto him. Everything else pales in comparison. So he showed us that, and then Paul then moved and showed us the supremacy of Christ through what he has done. So not only who Christ is as God himself, the creator, sustainer, and Lord, but also then Paul says, but not only that, look at what Christ has done. Then you will understand that he is superior over all else. That Christ came to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He ended up going to the cross to die the punishment that we deserve, die for the sins that we have committed. He gave his life for us. He, he gave that so that the punishment would take, be taken care of, so the separation between God and man could be abolished, that no longer do we have a relationship that is broken with God, but Jesus came and he mended the relationship so that if we come to him in faith, we come to him in repentance and we ask him to take over our lives. When that happens, our relationship with God is completely restored. We are no longer enemies, but friends. We looked at the idea of reconciliation, that Christ reconciled the world to himself and that his death, and ultimately then not only his death, but his resurrection, when he came back to life to prove his power over sin and death once and for all, those things have shown us, show us the supremacy of Christ as he has been victorious over sin and death and has reconciled the world so that we can have a right relationship with God again. He is superior over all else. Then Paul moved on and he said that spiritual maturity can only be found in Christ alone. The Colossian believers were thinking that they could add things to their faith to make them more mature, to make them more like Christ. And, and Paul says, no, none of the stuff that people want to add, not anything, will ever make it so that you are growing and mature unless you are focused on Christ and Christ alone. That is why, and as a result, he is superior. Paul then shows that we have been filled with Christ and that we are complete in him. Paul talks about the fact that since we've died with Christ, we are united with Christ, we are filled with Christ. Therefore, if he has filled us, then nothing else can be put in because we are complete. Everything he is, is ours, and therefore we can look to him and know that we are complete in him, that we are filled in Christ and therefore complete in him. And then last week when we were together, we saw that Paul shows us that we shouldn't be pressured into finding fulfillment in anything other than Jesus Christ. After making all these points, then Paul says, don't let anybody judge you or don't let anybody tell you anything different than the fact that Christ is all you need. We looked at last week that people will try to tell us that we need to add rituals to our faith, that we need to do certain things to please God and that is how we grow and that is how we show our faith. Some people will also say you need religion. You need to do, have experiences with God. You need to uh, have extra understanding beyond other people and those are the things that is going to give you completion in Christ 
And some people finally are going to say rules, <clears throat> that we need to obey rules. So not doing certain things is somehow going to make us more holy and closer to Christ. And that is not where we can find our ultimate fulfillment. Our ultimate fulfillment can only come through Christ. Not rules, not religion, not rituals, but through Christ alone. And so Paul has made this case. The first two chapters, this is Paul's point. With all of these things, Christ is everything you need. Christ is superior over all else. In him you find completion. There is nothing else that is needed. Jesus alone is all you need. How many more times can I say it in different ways? Paul says it over and over and over again that Christ is everything and Christ is all we ever will need and we cannot add anything to him ever. And so now we get to Colossians chapter 3. And we understand that Paul has made that point, that Christ is everything and over all, and therefore what is going to happen with that? Well, we get to chapter 3. In chapter 3, we're just going to look at the first couple verses really this morning. In chapter 3, we're going to break down, in the first 17 verses, we're going to read them all today, but we're going to break them down in three separate sermons because there's so much depth that we need to get into here. But in chapter 3, let's read verses 1 through 17, and then we'll look at what Christ what Paul is trying to tell us about Christ here in chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There... Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another, so as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and in one body. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, I believe falls right in the middle of all the action here in Colossians, and I believe there's a reason for that. This is what ties everything together. This is how we should live. And so what Paul is saying as we get into this chapter 3, he's going to give us three changes that Christ has made in light of his superiority and the completion that we can find in him. And I want to make it very clear clear here in verses 1 through 4 we see that christ is mentioned specifically four times if you've been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Why is Paul referring to Christ over and over and over again? Well, it puts us back into the first two chapters of Colossians. This isn't on your notes, but this is what, this is what Paul is saying. If, indeed, what he has just pointed out, if Christ is really everything and superior over everything else, then we need to live like it. And he goes on and he says, really what he's saying is this, if Christ is everything, which is true, we've looked at that through chapters 1 and 2, if Christ is everything, then why do we look to other things for fulfillment? Why do we look to this earth when none of it has, is even close to what Christ offers us? And yet so many of us are caught up with looking at our earthly desires, what is best for us here, and we forget that Christ is everything, and if he is over all, then why would we ever go after anything else? It's crazy. It's insane. We have everything we need, and yet we go to cheap counterfeits. And that's where Paul is going to go as we enter chapter 3. And he says, in light of the fact that Christ is superior, you will be changed. There will be a difference. See, last week I ended and I said, rules, religion, and rituals are not what gives you satisfaction in God's eyes. That it's only through Christ that we find true fulfillment in, in God. And it's not through those other things. And at the end, remember I said, but wait a minute. That doesn't mean we can just live however we want and say, well, it doesn't really matter because I have Christ. No, now Paul moves on and he says, no, look. Here's the deal. You will be different. You will be changed as a result of your relationship with Christ. But point out and remember, as we go through all of this today, this is not what we change about ourselves, but this is about what we let Christ change in us. And that is going to be important as we go through this. So we're going to see three changes that Christ makes in the life of a believer. And today as we go through these, I would ask you to consider, have these changes been made in your life? Maybe in some cases they have, maybe in some cases they haven't. And then you need to consider what it is you need to do with your relationship with Christ that will get it so that these changes indeed happen. And the first change we see this. Christ changes our condition. Christ changes, changes our condition. And here's the truth that we see in verses 1 and verses 4. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Here is the truth we can see. Christ being superior in what he has done for us, he has changed our condition. We were dead, but now we are alive in Christ. We were dead in our sins, and yet now we are alive in Christ. We are dead to ourselves, but now alive with Christ. As we see back in Colossians 2.13, if you just want to flip back with me really quickly. Going back to this, Paul is no doubt referencing what he said here in Colossians 2.13. Where he says this, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. We were dead in sin. We had no hope. We were dead in hopeless sin. But Jesus brings eternal life and hope. That's what we can see through Colossians. That although we were dead in sin and we had no hope in this life, Jesus came, gave us new life. We have been raised with Christ, as it says here in chapter 3, and that Christ is now our life. You see, our life is Christ himself. It's all about 
him. Paul can't say it any more clearly than he does here in Colossians chapter 3. We've been raised with Christ, we've been given new life, and this new life is not our own, but this new life is Jesus Christ himself. And that everything we do should be a reflection of Jesus, which we'll get to later as we get to the end of this passage we read today. So we were dead in hopeless sin, but now Jesus has brought us life. Our life then is Christ himself, and this is what we see here in Colossians 3. And we even have hope in the future that we will appear with him in glory, that someday when he returns, we will be caught up with him, and we will have hope for eternity. And so we were dead, but now we are alive. The next change in, the, in this passage that we see that Christ changing our condition, we were old, in verse 9, but now we are new. We were old, but now we are new. In verse 9, this is what we read. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we see we were old and now we are new. This is a change that Christ has made in us. We are no longer what we once were. We are now something different, something changed, something new, someone new. And we see that Christ has allowed us to put off the useless ways of this world. We have to put off the useless ways of this world and we need to put on the ways of Jesus. You've heard put off and put on and that's what we need to do. Put off the useless ways, put on the ways of Jesus. Now, real quick, to illustrate this point, uh, to put on and put off, these, these terms that are being used here in this passage, you probably have heard this before, it's referring to clothes. It's taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. That's kind of the illustration that Paul is drawing out here. But the thing is, it's not just old clothes like, you know, a lot of times you hear it, well, his dirty clothes get replaced with clean clothes. Although that's true, really what Paul is saying here is old, ratty, worn-out shirts that are clothes that are not going to be able to be worn again, they're useless. They're holy, they're disgusting, they're dirty, they're useless any longer He says, put them off. And really what put off means, not just take them off, means throw them away. Paul is saying, take off those old clothes that are completely useless. The old man, the old self that said, this world is what what I live for. My pleasure is what's important. My life is me, and I am all about myself. Put off those clothes because they are useless. All the things that the world says you need to do, obey rules, obey religion, obey rituals, all those things that the world has told you you need to add to your faith. No, get rid of those. Take them off. They're useless. You don't need them any longer. Get rid of them. Now here's the thing though. We don't want to just take off the old clothes and walk around naked. Right? You wouldn't do that in real life. And so he says then put on the new clothes. The new clothes, remember our life is Jesus Christ himself. We are putting on Jesus Christ. We are putting on his clothes, his new clothes that he has bought for us through his death, through his resurrection, and therefore our life looks new because we are clothed with Christ himself. We are not clothed any longer with ourselves and our selfish desires. We are clothed with Christ. You think about this idea, and I remember a time where, and some of you who have been parents, if this has happened to you. When you have babies, and sometimes their diaper doesn't hold everything, right? And they have this huge accident. And there is the clothes. I mean, I remember there was a time that we were going to a concert, and Mariah, in her, oh, just, her, all her clothes were just soiled completely. And we looked at those clothes, and you know what we could have done? We could have said, let's put them in a bag and take them home, wash them, and put them back on her at some point. No, 
You know what we did, and, I, and what most people would do, unless you really don't have money for clothes, I guess? You take them, and we went right in the trash. That's exactly what Paul is saying to do with our old sinful desires, our old self. It's useless, it's gross, it's disgusting, get rid of it. That is what we need to do, and put on new clothes of Christ. So we see that Christ has changed our condition from one of death and despair to life and hope because of the new life that he has given us. But this change does not end there. Christ continues to change us. He does not only change our condition, he also changes our attention. He changes our attention. What do you mean by attention? Well, the things that we think about, the things that we dwell on, the things that we pay attention to. And we're told that as we have been changed in our condition, then also our attention needs to be changed. What we care about, what we look to, what we focus on. And this is what we're told. It says, we were living for the world, but now we live for eternity, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So the second change that Christ is going to make in us is that we are going to quit living for the world. Instead, we're going to live for eternity. What really matters, not live for the pleasures that are temporary, the things that will fade away. Uh, John took several weeks to talk about Ecclesiastes, and I'm hoping actually that we will be able to finish Ecclesiastes uh, here coming soon. And the idea of all of Ecclesiastes is don't waste your time on the pleasures of this world. It doesn't matter. They're just going to fade away. Look to what's important. Look to your relationship with God. And Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying earthly things are nothing compared to what is to come. The temporary pleasures of this life are nothing compared to what God has for us. Eternity in heaven. And so we need to dwell on and think on not what's on the earth, but what is to come with our, in heaven. And in heaven, remember, we talked about this before, it's not just about the streets of gold and that we're going to be perfect and we're going to see people playing harps. Heaven is about the fact that we are present with Jesus Christ forever. And since we are going to be present with Christ forever, then we should live for him now. Because he is eternal, and the life he gives is eternal. And as we experience eternal life, it's all for him, it's all through him, and it's all to him. And as we think about the future, we think about Christ. That is what eternal living looks like. Eternal living is not thinking, oh, I have temporary pleasures here, but if I'm good enough on earth, then I'll get better prizes up in heaven. No, that's not the point. That's still selfish. The point of living a heavenly life, a heavenly-minded life, is thinking, you know what, I know there's lots of pleasures in this world that I could dive into. I know there's plenty of temporary things that I could look into, but Christ is better. Christ is more. I'm going to look to him. That is eternal living. Looking to Christ and looking to serve him instead of ourselves. And so finally we see that we have a different way of thinking than the world. So we were living for the world, but now we live for eternity. Earthly things are nothing compared to what has come, and we have a different way of thinking than the rest of the world. He says, set your minds on things that are above. It's how we think. We don't think about ourselves any longer, or at least that's what we're called to do, is not think about ourselves any longer, although many of us, I know, still struggle with that. And instead of thinking of ourselves, we think of Christ. And as we think of Christ, we will then think of others, and we will see what it means to live a selfless life. And really what it comes down to is we do think different than the world. If Christ has saved us and Christ is everything to us, then we do think different and it's going to look weird. People are going to think we're kind of weird because we think about things differently than they do. 
The people who have not come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who are living a life in which they are still living in the old way mindset of all, life is all about me and what I can get out of life, they're not going to understand why we focus on Christ instead. So we need to have a different way of thinking. That is a way that Christ changes us. Another way he changes our attention, the same idea, is that we were once living for ourselves, but now we live for Christ. I already got ahead of myself, I can see that already. But in chapter 3, verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then chapter, or verse 17, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, part of changing our attention is that Christ has changed us from living for ourselves to now living for him. We have died to ourselves and are hidden and have hidden our life in Christ. We see that here in, cha- in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died. We have died to ourselves. We have died to our own desires. We have died to everything we stood for. And now our life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden with Christ. Our Christ is there. He is everything. We are in him, remember? And so we are hidden in him. We are hidden with him in the sense that we are united to him. We are different from the world because we're hidden away. We are we also eternally secure through him. Those are the three things. When Paul says that we are hidden in Christ, it means our life is everything. Christ is everything to us, and everything we do is found in him. And that'll seem different, and that is through our, our unity with him, and therefore we can be hidden in and with Christ. That we hide from the world in the sense that we hide from all those desires, and instead we live for Christ. And then in verse 17... Now, everything we do should be for the glory of Jesus. And whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I know I skipped ahead, and I, there's a whole lot of stuff we're skipping over, and we'll get to that as we go, I promise. But here's the idea. We were living for ourselves, but now we live for Christ. It says, everything we do, notice, everything in word or in deed, Everything we do, everything we say, it all needs to be done for the name of Jesus Christ. That does not mean that everything we do and say, that we need to tell people, I'm doing this for Jesus. We'd get really weird if that was how we did things. What it means is this. The name of Christ is his character. The point is very simple. That our life revolves around Jesus Christ. That everything we do and everything we say points to him. That the way we live and the way we speak and everything that's about us, it's not going to point to us, it's going to point to him. And when we do everything in the name of Christ, we are constantly giving credit where credit is due. Came across a really cool illustration this week, uh, and I don't remember where it was from. It may have been John MacArthur. I, I, I was reading him for a while, but uh, and he gave this, this this illustration. He said, you know, there was a time when the world people a long time ago thought that the Earth was the center of the universe, and that everything else revolved around the Earth. The sun revolved around the Earth. All the other planets. The, the Earth was the center. And for a long time, that was what was believed. And then they discovered, as many of us know, unless you haven't been to any kind of astrology class, that indeed that's not the case. The sun and the planets do not revolve around the earth. Instead, the earth is one of many planets that all revolve around the sun. 
The sun is the center of the universe. In the same way, what Paul is saying is the change that is made, that change in mindset of we're the center of the universe to, oh wait, no we're not, we're just rotating around the sun. Now let's change one letter, I know it's getting a little corny, but instead of the, the earth revolving around the sun, it's the fact that the world revolves around the sun, Jesus the sun. And so we need to get that understanding in our mindset that we are not the center of the universe, that are the world and its ways are not the center. It's not like everything else revolves around that, but indeed everything revolves around Jesus and Jesus himself. And therefore, whenever, whatever we do, it's all centered on him and it's all pointing to him and it's all about him. It's not about us any longer, but it's about him. And that is what he says here in chapter 3. So as Jesus changes our condition then, he also changes our attention. But see, the result that will come as we change our condition, as our condition is changed and as our attention is changed, the result will be that Christ will also change our disposition. Our disposition. If you don't know what the word disposition means, I'm sure Ed does. Uh, it's, a, it's a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. So our disposition is the quality of character that we have. What is our character going to look like? What is our life going to look like if our condition has been changed and our attention has been changed? So who we are has changed and how we think has changed, then how we live will also change. And he says a couple things here in this passage. He says, first of all, we were living a life of greed, but now we live a life of gratitude. Verses 5 through 7 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. So Paul says, look, there was a point in which you lived a life of greed. And I use greed here because I know there's a lot of listings of sins here. And we will look at more specifics as we go on, especially next week and into the week after. But what we see here is all these sins have one common thread, selfish gain. It's all about greed, wanting what is not ours to have and wanting what we should not be getting any other way except the way God prescribed it. There are sexual sins mentioned here. There's covetousness. And you know what it all comes down to? Paul says it right here. Whenever we put our selfish needs in front of anything else, we have committed idolatry. Because what is idolatry is putting anything or anyone in front of God, and that's what we do. When we obey our desires, we are being in idolatry. That is what we are, and so therefore we have this sin. And so he says we have been greedy, we have been idolatrous, but now we have a life of gratitude. Verses 15 through 17 is the opposite of what we just looked at. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in hymns, or teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we were once concerned with our selfish desires, now we are thankful for what God has given us. Selfish desires once ruled our lives, but our new life is one of thankfulness to God in everything. Selfish desires once ruled our lives, but our new life is one of thankfulness to God in everything. In other words, we go from selfishness to selflessness. That is a change in our disposition. And finally, another way that Christ changes our disposition is that we were living a life of hate, but now we live a life of love. Verses 8 through 14, I'm not going to read them all again, but as you look at those verses, this is what you see. 
Paul talks about in verse 8 all those things that we need to put off, and they all have to do with hatred of one another, anger, malice, gossip, slander, all of those things. And he says those things are not how we live any longer. That is the old way of living. The hateful way of living where you only care about yourself and not others is no longer how we live. That is not our disposition any longer. Instead, it is a life of love. And that's when we look at this, and he says it starting in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And then in verse 14, and above all this, put on love, which binds everything together. Hateful living dominated our lives at one point. That was our old way of living. But love is what brings unity and what we see in this translation, bond of perfection, completeness, fulfillment. The love that we have for Christ reflects in our love for others and when that happens, then we find true fulfillment in Christ. So in light of Christ's superiority, we can see that he has changed our condition to one of life and hope, our attention now to Jesus, and finally our disposition to selflessness. We have been given a change notice and we must look to Christ to change us. Next week we will dive a little deeper as we look specifically at what these changes will look like. So I would encourage you to come back next week and the week after because we don't end here. We continue on as Paul continues to build upon this idea that once again, if Christ is everything, if Christ is superior, then we need to live like it and give up on what we are seeking for fulfillment. So some questions to ponder as we close today. Have you been changed by Christ? Have you, has your condition been changed? Have you gone from death to life? Do you understand what it means to be gone from old to new? Or have you never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? The gospel is simple. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died for your sin and my sin so that the death we deserved, he took on himself. He rose again to defeat sin and death. And now he just waits for us to come to him in faith and trust him and give our lives to him. And when we do that, then we can have true change. But change isn't going to happen if you try to do it in your own strength. You need Christ. And if you have not come to him for that change, make today the day you come to him for that. If you have any questions more about how you can know that, talk to myself, any one of our elders, anyone that you know knows Jesus, they would love to share with you how you can let him change your life. For the rest of us that you have experienced that change in condition, are you living in light of the changes that Christ has made in you? Is your attention and your disposition look like Christ? Are you focused on him or are you focused on yourself? Are you selfless or are you selfish? And you need to ask these questions. And finally, is your life truly hidden in Christ? Are you truly looking to him for everything? Because as we looked at, if Christ is everything, then why do we waste our time with anything else? Look to the heavenlies. Look to Christ. Don't look to the earth. And finally, this is what we remember as we continue here in Colossians chapter 3. Christ is all we need. He has changed us for his glory. So let's start living like it. And that is where we end this week. Next week we will continue on in chapter 3. Now we have a time in which we will move right on into uh, communion.